Well, hey, we are starting a brand new sermon series today. I, I was a nerd growing up. Um, was. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you. I love my church. Love my church. Just pouring out encouragement. But here's the deal. I, so I, I've, I've been a nerd my whole life. Yeah, I'm not one of these newfangled nerds who, who came to the game late. I've been working on this nerd thing for a long, long time. And uh, maybe you were like me, and you didn't have any friends growing up. So you would sit in a room alone, and, and you would build. You know, you just play with blocks. You'd, you'd put stuff together. And, and you know, later, when uh, my mom and dad started making a little more money, we could, we could afford Legos. But, you know, when I was a kid, we didn't have Legos. We just had blocks. And not even these, like, fake light cardboard ones that if they fall down, they're not going to hurt you. We had, for real, wooden blocks. Anyone else remember wooden blocks? I'm talking about the kind where, you know, you were a kid and you got so excited and so you would build up some monstrosity inside of your room and you were so proud and you were so excited. But then, of course, because you were a kid and your uh, uh, architectural knowledge wasn't as great as it could have been, you suddenly found yourself in a position where uh, those giant wooden blocks tumbled down upon you, and you spent the next three days crying for someone to notice that you were gone, and eventually, eventually someone in your family started, started to go, hey, maybe we should go look for him. I, I don't think he's just blowing off steam, and uh, then they find you underneath the avalanche of blocks in your room, and that was me. And so I loved to build when I was a kid because I, cause I, I love the idea of you got to put some stuff together. And so maybe you were like me and maybe you like building things. And so you would build uh, giant buildings or you would build a castle or once you got Legos, you built spaceships because that's what boys did. At least in the 80s, we built spaceships. Anyone else with me on just building spaceships with Legos? That's right. And I see Tom Barr over there. He and I graduated high school together. So I know we're the same age. He gets it. But I remember as a kid, I remember being a kid, and I grew up in a small church in Hollywood, Florida. And the small church that I grew up in was a church that my grandfather, who I'm named after, actually helped build. And, and because of that, when I would build with blocks, I would often build churches. I would design churches. And there are churches that are big and beautiful, and if you've ever seen pictures or if you've ever maybe traveled to Europe, you can see these beautiful Catholic cathedrals, and they're massive, and they're awe-inspiring. And so there's a tendency for us to think of the church as this thing that was built by the hands of men. And what we can do is we can go, wow, that is a beautiful church. But, you know, one of the things that can happen for us is that we can think of the church as just this thing that was built by the hands of men. And so then the church can be torn down just as easily. The church doesn't stand on anything eternal. The church can just be this thing that was built up and then torn down. And what's interesting about that is that's not a new idea. In fact, 
what we can often think about in the church in the 21st century as, hey, we built this nice, beautiful building. That's not a new thing. In fact, in the first century, as, as the message of Jesus Christ, as the gospel of Jesus Christ was first spreading, people thought about the church as a building. They thought about the church as a temple. They thought about a church as a place where you go, and you, you put everything together, and you go, okay, we've got this nice house. We've got this nice church. We've got this nice temple. Because the thinking in the first century is the gods will only come hang out and interact with human beings if they've got a place to live. And so the pagan religions of the first century had plenty of temples that they would build to the gods or goddesses so that you could build something and then you could say, hey, that god or goddess will come live here and then we can go to that place to worship them. And what's strange is it's been 20 centuries and that understanding of the church is still with us today. It's the 21st century and we struggle with the same understanding of the church. And so the purpose of the next four weeks together. The purpose of the next four weeks together is that we would collectively come together to understand what the church is and what the church isn't. That we would come together and understand that this is what it means to be a part of the church, to belong to the church, and this is what it doesn't mean. Because I think for us, there are so many ways in which that old pagan understanding of, hey, let's go build a house for the gods, has infected our thinking of the church. And that's not a new thing, because in the first century, that's exactly what the early Christians were dealing with. And so we're going to start off this series further together, further together. We're going to start off this series by talking about the church, by talking about bricks and mortar. I want to start off this week by looking at a series of scriptures. This is Ephesians chapter 2 in your Bible, if you have it with you. But Ephesians chapter 2 is a letter that Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. Paul writes this letter to the church in Ephesus. And this incredible scripture, beginning in verse 19 and going through 22, is Paul trying to explain to the church in Ephesus what it means to be a part of the church. And here's why this is such a big deal. Because in Ephesus, there was a massive temple. In Ephesus, there was a massive temple to the goddess Artemis. And this temple was not only the, the kind of beautifully constructed uh, uh, temple it was famous all over the world in the first century, but it also was kind of the, the whole center of the economy in Ephesus. And so kind of everyone's daily life, whether or not you visited the temple, whether or not you were involved in the business that was going on in the temple, everyone in Ephesus, their whole lives were impacted by this temple to the goddess. And so what could end up happening 
as people would live their lives and go, oh, obviously, you have to build a home for a God. You have to build a home for a God, and that's how the God will come and visit you. That's how the God will come and spend time with you. So they had this entirely pagan understanding, regardless of whether or not they really spent a lot of time there. Their whole understanding of the world was this very pagan idea that we've got to build a building. And so Paul, he's writing to the church in Ephesus, and he's going to use the analogy of building a building out of bricks and mortar, out of stone. And he's going to say that that's not what the church is. But the church is similar to it in a few ways. And so, beginning in verse 19. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. It's powerful stuff. When you think about it, effectively, Paul, in, in these four verses, is making the point that the, F, the Ephesian understanding of the temple system, and he goes, look, you are now members through Christ of the household of God. And because you are members through Christ of the household of God, you are being built together into something. You are growing together into something. You are like stone in bricks and mortar. You are being united together into a building, into something that is greater than the sum of its parts. And so, we need to understand one of the crucial things that he says in verse 20. In verse 20, Paul says, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. So there's a foundation of the apostles and prophets, of things that are said about Jesus. He says, with Jesus as the chief cornerstone. We need to understand something. In verse 20, when he says that Jesus is the cornerstone, he uses a Greek word there that is interchangeable with cornerstone and capstone. And so we're going to talk about the meaning of the cornerstone, and we're going to talk about the meaning of the capstone. In ancient architecture, when you would go to build a building, you would start with a large stone, and that large stone would have to be chiseled down to a perfect square. It had to be chiseled down to a perfect square. And because you were going to build to that stone, that stone, as you laid those kind of first rungs of the foundation of the building, as the first rungs of the walls of the building, that cornerstone had to be perfect. The cornerstone had to be perfect because if the cornerstone wasn't perfect, the integrity of the whole building was shot. And so what he says is he's going, Jesus is the cornerstone, meaning that we build around Jesus. Our lives get shaped around Jesus. We don't bend Jesus around our will. We shape our lives around the will of Jesus. 
But here's why it's so important in the Greek to understand that the word that Paul uses is interchangeable cornerstone and capstone in the English. Because cornerstone, in terms of the architectural integrity, had massive meaning. But a capstone in Roman architecture was a a kind of stone that would sit atop two adjoining walls. And the capstone would kind of bring the work to completion. And it's on the capstone that you would write or engrave the name of the emperor of Rome under whose leadership that building was built. And so, Jesus is for us both our foundation, he is both our cornerstone, but he is also our capstone. So our foundation, our cornerstone, and our capstone is Jesus. And here's why that's so important, because it means that we're going to build this thing up, but as we build it, here we go, we go, yeah, there's our cornerstone right there, that's going to be Jesus, but also up top, when we finish the thing off, we're going to put the capstone on it, and we're putting the name Jesus on it, and that's what it matters, because that's who the building belongs to. It belongs to Jesus. Here's another way that we could put it, thanks so much to Beyonce, he liked it so much he put his name on it. Uh, 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 uh. So Jesus puts his name on the building. So we build our lives around Jesus as the cornerstone. We build everything to Jesus. We make sure that everything in our life starts lining up to Jesus and what Jesus wants for us and what Jesus' identity is for us. But this is what it says in verse 21. We've been brought together to grow together. We've been brought together to grow together, in whom the whole building grows. And this is why grows is such a massively important word. It means that I am and you are a work in progress a work in progress. Now, here's why that's such a big deal. Being a work in progress means, by definition, I'm not done growing. You're not done growing. You've got more maturing to do. You've got more growth. You've got to learn more. You've got to become more mature. You've got to become more disciplined. I have to become more disciplined. I've got to become more mature. Every single one of us has more to learn and more to do and more to grow. That can seem like bad news. That can seem like someone being overly critical. But what that also means is that your best days are ahead. Because as long as you are growing, your best is still to come. And so here's one of the beautiful things that we see about the church. You know, I think about uh, someone like Judy Jackson, who's here every Sunday, serves so diligently, plays on our team, sings so beautifully. And so this is Judy Jackson. And Judy's coming in here. She makes... She makes the whole thing better. She makes the whole thing better. And then I think about someone who was a constant source of encouragement for me 
And I got to tell you, if you've never preached a sermon before, sometimes it can feel like you're speaking to an empty room. But Randy Cheney makes sure that never happens. He talks loud. He lets me know that he feels what I'm saying. He's a source of encouragement for me. And so Randy, he's a part of the church right there. So he, see, he's, he's helping make the whole thing better, make the whole thing stronger. Hmm, man. Can I tell you who has been super encouraging to me this week? You know, I, I preached two weeks ago about uh, how change in our life begins with change in our mind, and I kind of challenged us as a church that if we would spend the next 30 days in the Word of God, that it would make a difference in our lives. And it's been great on Facebook watching how Margot Watson has just, she's grabbed a hold of that. She's just, she's loving that. And so every, every day she's posting stuff. Here's where I was in Scripture today. Here's what I'm learning out of it. Here's what it's doing in my life. You know, I think about someone like Tim Campbell, who, along with Matt Keith, came in here on a Friday, gave up their Friday night so they could help us do some things to make the church look better and didn't think anything of it, doesn't ask for doesn't ask for a special pat on the back, just goes, hey, I'm a part of the church, and this is what it means to be part of the church. I'm going to come, I'm going to contribute. I'm going to be, I'm going to be a, 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 a contributor. I'm not going to be a spectator. I'm going to be involved. I'm going to be a participator. And so we get someone like Tim who's coming up here, and see what happens is that Paul takes this analogy of the thing being built up together and growing together, and what he says is that we grow together. So I've got more growth that needs to happen for me, and you've got more growth that needs to happen for you, but if I'm required to grow all on my own, I'm not going to grow very far because the areas where I need to grow, I don't see in the mirror well. And can I just tell you something about you? The areas where you need to grow, you don't see in the mirror well either. And so we need each other. And so God's designed the church. So what happens is we grow and we grow together and we need to keep growing. And so sometimes you're going, you know what? I don't want to be involved in Christian community. I, want, I don't want to be involved in church. I don't want to really be plugged in because every time I do, I start getting around people and they make me want to be different. They make me want to be better. They, they encourage me to grow. They encourage me to grow. And at a certain point, let's just admit it, growth is uncomfortable. We don't like to grow. It's easier to sit on the couch and binge watch Netflix. Which, what shows are you guys watching? <laughs> growth is uncomfortable, but growth is essential. Growth is essential because this is what's also true. When you are done growing, when you are done growing, your best days will be behind you. When you are done growing, when you say, that's it, I'm finished, you're effectively saying, my best days were back there. The best that I can ever hope for is behind me. It's in my rearview mirror. So growth ensures that our best days will be ahead. Growth ensures that our best days will be ahead. And God has given us each other so that we can grow together so that we can cause each other to grow. In fact, let me go ahead and say it. There's some people in the church that you may not get along with very well, and you don't like hanging out with all that much. Do you know they are a blessing to you? Do you know they are a gift to you from God to help you grow? It changes the perspective a little bit, doesn't it? 
Can I confess something to you? And and I'm going to step on all kinds of toes. And so let me just go ahead and say this, that I I dearly love both of these groups, and we wouldn't have a functioning church. We wouldn't have a growing church without both of these groups. But it's incredibly frustrating speaking to teenagers and senior citizens. Sorry. It's, It's incredibly frustrating talking to teenagers and senior citizens, and I'm going to tell you why. And and those of you who are parents of teenagers here or have been parents of a teenager, you can give a hearty amen. Teenagers think they know everything. Teenagers think they know everything with all of their 15 years of life experience. They think they know everything. And and, and thinking you know everything isn't isn't in and of itself a bad thing or an evil thing or but, but thinking you know everything can be a dangerous thing because if you think you know everything, you think you're done growing. There's not more to learn. There's not more to gain. There's not more wisdom to get access to. And as soon as you are convinced that you're done growing, you're saying, my best is behind me. Senior citizens, because of your 60, 70, 80 years of life experience, you go, I'm done growing. I'm done evolving. I'm done changing. I'm done discovering newness of what God has in store for me. And so what ends up happening is you end up in this later life depression because you're convincing yourself that everything good is behind you. That's not what Jesus says for you. You have more growth to do. You've got more growing to do. You've got more growth to be involved with, which means that senior citizens, I don't care if you're 60, 70, 80, or 90, your best days are ahead as long as you continue to grow in the Spirit of God. Your best is still in front of you. Don't coast through the end of your life and go, well, you know what? I got 60 years behind me. I guess I've already experienced the best. No, the best is in front of you as long as you're willing to keep growing. Growth ensures that our best days will still be ahead. Growth ensures that our best days will still be ahead. So we keep growing together. We keep growing together. And Jesus puts his name on it. And we become the house of God. We become the house of God. A tornado could come this afternoon and rip every building off this property. And frankly, we'd be a little excited about it. We would take the insurance money over some of our buildings. But listen to me, listen to me. A tornado could come through here today and take every building off of this property. And then, you know what? Putnam County could end up in some kind of crazy situation where the governor and the mayor and all these people suddenly decide, you know what, no more churches in Putnam County, and they could come and they could take this property from us. The church would not cease to exist for a second because the church is not a building. God doesn't need human hands to build him something so that God can go, man, it's a good thing you guys finally built me something. You know I breathed the whole universe into existence, right? Boy, this 2,000 square feet is sure spacious. You know the infinite universe was breathed out of my mouth. God doesn't need a building. We become the house 
of God. We become the house of God. And the reason for that is this. Track with me here. You were not saved into isolation. You were saved into a family. You were saved into a body. You were saved into a building. And the building you were saved into was not built by human hands. The building you were saved into is what happens when Tim and Randy and Margo and Judy come together. Because what does the Bible say? When two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. You see, what happens is you start going, man, what's, what's on the inside of Tim? If I just rip Tim open, what am I going to find inside of Tim? I'm going to find the Holy Spirit of God. So wait a minute. But what if I look inside of Margo? What if I, what if I were just to, what's inside of Margo? The Holy Spirit of God. I bet, I bet if we were to rip open Judy and look into her heart and all that she's gone through and all that she's experienced, I bet if we were to look inside of Judy, we would see the Holy Spirit of God. And no matter what Randy has been through, no matter what has happened in his life, I bet you would look inside of him and find the Holy Spirit of God. God is building us together to become his house because God lives in us. God doesn't live in a building. God lives right here. And the power of God in your life is what happens when you stop thinking about church as a place you go to once a week and you start walking through your life and you're going, the Holy Spirit's living right here. I'm taking the church with me wherever I go. So it's not church at 1030 on a Sunday morning. It's church at 9 a.m. on Monday when you show up at work. It's church at 6 p.m. on a Tuesday when you're sitting with your family eating dinner. It's church in the middle of the night on the Thursday when you get the heartbreaking call and you go, you know what? I don't have to go to church. I don't have to call up a pastor. I just go, Holy Spirit, you are living. God, you are alive inside of me. God, you are alive right here. And God, because you are alive right here, you know you know what I'm going through. You know what's going on. And so the power of church isn't that we show up together and attend a service. The power of church is suddenly what happens when two or three are gathered. And see, what happens is when we gather together on a Sunday, we're not saved because of it. We're, we're, not, we're not going, hey, you know, it's a good thing we came to church because that made all the difference. We're going, I came to church because the more we gather together, the more people who have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of them, when we get together, something happens. And suddenly the sum becomes greater than its individual parts. Suddenly God does something when his people come together, when they grow together, when they spur each other on, when they encourage each other, when they say, God's got more for you, your best days are still ahead. When that becomes our heart, suddenly God does something through us collectively that can't just happen when it's just me all by my own. Because what we learn in church is that we is always greater than me. 
collectively, corporately, we are capable of transformation in a whole community. And I can't do that on my own. I can't love God and chase after God hard enough for all of us. But here's what happens when suddenly we start linking arms together. When we start going, guess what? We're gonna be united together. God's gonna build us up together. And guess what? When God builds us up together, we get unified. We get on the same page. Suddenly we're all around the will of Christ. And suddenly we start getting on unity together. Suddenly we start going, hey, this is our vision. This is where we're going together. Divisions go away. Arguments go away. Because we're united around the plans and purposes of Jesus Christ because he's our cornerstone and our capstone. And we don't have to build a building to make that happen. That happens when we come together and we say who we are collectively, who we are collectively is greater than who I am individually. And so instead of feeling like church is an obligation, instead of feeling like church is a service you have to attend, you start going, I wanna see what God's gonna do this week when we choose to get together, when we choose to come together, when we choose to unite together and be built up together and grow together. I can't wait to see what God's gonna do. It changes our whole perspective because God doesn't live in a building. God lives in us. God lives in you. And in you, and you, and you, and you, God lives in us.